Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a historic event in Star Trek history, the formal introduction of Jerry Taylor to the series. I've actually talked about her before. This was the first episode she really did some work on. <clears throat> and I'm curious what my thoughts are going to be on her going forward in the TNG era. I think I've made it very clear that I was actually pretty anti-Jerry Taylor back in Voyager, specifically. Not so much because I thought she was a bad writer. Actually, quite the contrary. I think that she was a very good character person. But I think that there were too many concepts that she was in favor of that I wasn't. And the fact that she was basically the showrunner for a brief period of time there kind of, well, let's just say it contributed to the season two problem. Nevertheless, here we are. We're at, you know, season uh, season four of TNG, you know, doing their own thing here. Uh, Jerry Taylor actually has a quote here I want to share with you really quick. She describes her uh, strength as a writer as long on character and personal relationships and very short on sci-fi. And this episode in particular, she said, was all about the relationship between Picard and this boy. So, having had adolescent boys, I had that down pretty well. And I just filled in past that. I actually lifted a whole section of tech from one of the scripts they'd given me and just copied that. So that part came out sounding really good. Now, to give Jerry Taylor credit, I do think the dynamic between Picard and Jonah actually worked quite well. It is by, by far the best part of the episode. I can't call this a good episode overall, because, well, to continue my usual food analogy method, it's like having a full, you know, three-course banquet in front of you, and, you know, that one thing over there, like like the main course, the, the turkey or whatever, is really excellent, and the rest of it's not. And I think that's my problem with this episode. But I do want to give credit where credit is due. This episode was also directed by Gabriella Beaumont, and I mention that because not only am I continuing to mispronounce her name, I'm sure, but because I feel like she does a good job with quite a few of the scenes, using camera angles to good effect, and really managing to pull some interesting, I guess I want to say, momentum into the pace of the episode in several scenes. So credit to her on that one. We'll talk about the child abuse thing in a minute. <laughs> I also want to admit something. I've known about this for years, but I've never really paid attention to it until I was watching the Blu-ray of this episode. And I'm about to ruin Star Trek for some of you. I just know I am. Next time you watch the intro of, I believe it's season three onward, uh, but it might be season four and onward, of the TNG intro, you know, when it's like, space, the final frontier, that whole thing. Watch the rings of Saturn. And watch the stars behind the rings of Saturn. And then watch the stars over here to the left, which are different from the stars behind Saturn. I'm never going to be able to unsee that now. <laughs> Anyways. So, the first thing we learn about the Talarians is that it is a common tactic of them to call for help and set a self-destruct when people show up. Now, on the first glance, that actually gives us a surprisingly good amount of exposition right off the bat, although we don't know the full extent of it until later. But what that tells us right now is that these people consider conflict and combat to be a ruthless sport. In other words, they don't consider there to be, you know, rules of warfare or acceptable practice or, to be blunt, they have no sense of honor, internal honor, real honor. So that's something that helps inform us about the nature of the people we'll be interacting with throughout the course of this episode. And that is important to keep in mind, especially for the main predominant point of the episode, which I'll get to in a moment. It's worth noting the Talarians technically have appeared three times in Star Trek, but really have only appeared once and were referenced once. They were actually mentioned back in Heart of Glory. Originally it was supposed to be a different race, and someone suggested they bring in the Talarians to have a continuing race, which is good. 
And then later on over in Deep Space Nine, they're actually referenced, but they're not supposed to be. It was actually an inaccurate ter uh, terminology. In other words, this is yet another race of the week. I feel like I've made my opinion on races of the week very clear, so I don't really feel the need to retread that ground. But it is actually, unfortunately, something I have to do because this is a race that we have repeated regular interactions with on behalf of the Federation that we never heard of before, not counting the one reference, and never will again. This is a race we actually had a war, apparently, with as the Federation. The Federation says that there were conflicts between the two forces. The Telerians say that they were fighting back the incursion of the Federation colonists. Nice way to showcase the different perspective there. And that this incursion attack actually wiped out several colonies. Now, that's actually not inconsistent with what we learn later, because this is the important part. As we learn later, the Telerians are pathetic for once... Credit to Jerry Taylor. For once, the threat of the weak isn't actually a threat, really. The Telerians are pathetic. They cannot and will not harm the Enterprise. They even flat out state, the Enterprise will crush those three ships like a bug if it comes down to that. And the Federation as a whole, despite the events of all 359, could probably withstand a skirmish, let's just call it what it is, with the Telerians. The actual threat is not the fact that the Telerians are the bad guys, the threat is the fact uh, is the war itself, the fact that they don't want to escalate into conflict. That's good. That makes sense. For whoops, for war itself to be the enemy and the idea of trying to avoid the war rather than the the enemy being the enemy makes a lot of sense to me. Not just for Star Trek, but for fiction in general, and most especially in specific for the Federation. That, that's a very Federation concept, and I like that. But Keeping in mind the, the colony thing, it makes perfect sense that we know that Starfleet's, excuse me, the Federation's colonies are, oh, how do I put it, completely defenseless. This has actually been a recurring trend since season two, arguably since season one. And it's, it's pathetic and weird, but whatever, it's true, I get it. It's also true, it, it also helps to make sense with that suicide tactic I mentioned earlier. Send out a distress signal, blow up the ship. That sounds like a guerrilla tactic, doesn't it? And that's the kind of thing you do if you're fighting a force that overwhelmingly overpowers you, right? I find myself wondering, knowing I've spoken many, many times, usually in a derogatory fashion, about the excessive peace-loving nature, excuse me, treaty-loving nature of the Federation. This comes up a lot on Deep Space Nine. This is a recurring trend on Deep Space Nine. I've actually argued for many years that the Federation let the situation with the Dominion go on way too long, that they should have gone to war earlier, and they basically just let the Dominion walk all over them in their pursuit of what they call peace. And I want to correct myself on that, because as weird as this may sound, I don't think the Federation actively strives for peace. I think that is the ideal goal, and that's what they really want. But what the Federation tends to move more towards is kind of more of a coexistence thing. It's why I say the Federation is big on treaties rather than on peace. You know, considering the fact that the Federation at many points in its history has not been at peace, but they've had a treaty. So it's okay. We'll just kind of... I mean, this very season is going to cover this as well uh, with uh, the wounded, I want to say, when the Cardassians are introduced to Star Trek. You know, stuff like that. So... I kind of picture the idea that the Telerians attacked this colony, butchered all the people, because ruthless warfare, and then the Federation was like, okay, let's talk about this. I mean, you did just massacre a bunch of innocent civilians, but let's talk about this. Let's get a treaty going. And then they got a treaty going, and that was the end of the conflict. And considering that was, that was very recently, remember, this is a teenage boy, and he was, you know, 
he was born on this colony, so it's within his lifetime at the absolute outset, right? I mean, this is relatively recent. Although he apparently mentions remembering all this stuff, so he obviously was older than the baby in the pictures, so this had to have been even more recently than I'm giving it credence for. Maybe when he was like seven or eight, something like that. I remember things when I was four, but I know I'm, a, I'm very much an outlier on that. Uh, my sister, for example, only remembers back to like when she was ten. I know it varies. You get my point. So within the last, we could probably say around ten years is when this incident happened. And I could, and I could definitely picture ten years ago, which would have been seven years before, uh, you know, TNG started, the, the, the treaty loving federation being like, okay, okay, you did just in an unprovoked attack, butcher and kill hundreds of civilians. But you know what? Why don't we stop fighting? I mean, we're stronger than you in literally every way possible. But, you know, we don't really want to fight you. Let's have a treaty. And I know I'm sounding very derogatory, but I want to make it clear because that's because I do mean it. This is actually kind of insulting in its own way. I love peace as much as anyone else, probably more than most people. But when someone punches you in the nose, unprovoked, just this unprovoked, naked aggression like this, the first thing you do is think, okay, listen, I know that you appreciate this. Why don't we make a treaty where I give you some stuff and you... No! As I complained about so many times in Season 1 TNG, that's not diplomacy. That's not negotiation. That is appeasement. And there's a difference. Now, I'm not saying that's out of character. None of this is the flaw of the episode. Quite the contrary. This is very in character. That's kind of my point. That was back in, in the heyday of the, you know, the winds of change era, as I like to call it. The golden age of the Federation. Which has now, which we are currently no longer in. Which Wolf 359 officially was the Terminator point for. And now we're in this new era of Star Trek. A new era of the Federation. Which will be marked by mo- multiple wars. <laughs> uh, anyways. So all I'm saying is that... Oh, sorry. I should actually address something because I could just I could just picture people lunging to the comment section. It could be argued to but to that the Talarians were not doing an unprovoked attack. The Feder these Federation colonists did settle on their territory. We don't know any details about that. We don't know if they knew. We don't know if it was a mistake. We don't know if they were given an option to retreat. There's details that would help flesh out the specifics of that circumstance. However, one way or another, the Talarians did butcher a bunch of civilians, and I stress the way I keep saying that. So, screw them? <laughs> Anyways. That brings me to my next point. Several people involved in the creation of this episode all said the same thing, that this was supposed to be a culture clash. One of the things I've noticed a lot of writers tend to do when they want to do culture clash is they don't really invent a new culture. Instead, they specifically pick out things that are irritating to most human cultures especially the audience for whatever they're presenting to. So, you know, like Western audience or British audience or whatever. Whatever it's being directed at, they pick out specific things that are irritating or wrong to those cultures and then say, this is our culture, and that's the full extent of it. No explanation of why. No, no in, in, in-depth analysis or actual possible reasoning or purpose behind it. No, it's just because that's not the point. What the writers are doing is taking a shorthand to, we're different by trying to use an extreme contrast. Now, there's a valid reason to do that, but I do feel like it is a overused trope when it comes to fiction, especially Star Trek. So, for example, in this case, uh, we don't take orders from other species, females are lesser people, violence is common day, pain doesn't matter, honor doesn't matter, and, of course, the whining, my personal favorite part. 
Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. I counted. The episode makes us listen to these kids whine for 34 seconds before Picard manages to cut them off. Now, that may sound like a short period of time, but in my opinion, they did a better job of it later. Later on in the episode, he starts whining and Worf leaves the, the room. Then we cut away. So we, the audience, don't have something annoying. Time passes. Later on, Picard shows up, and he's still whining. We get closer to like six or seven seconds, maybe closer to 12. I didn't count. I should have. Seconds. So we'll say like 15 seconds to go on the outside. 15 seconds of whining rather than 34, which is a surprisingly big difference, especially since that 34 seconds was all in one bundle, whereas that 15 was split into two. Now, I know this sounds like a weird thing to comment on, but one of the things that any creator of fiction has to understand is that whatever your in-character explanation is, you're still making something for real people. I know that sounds like such a strange thing to say, but one of the things I've noticed many writers and, and creators tend to do is they tend to forget the out-of-character perspective. You need to keep the out-of-character perspective in mind. Sure, there should be an in-character explanation. Sure, there should be an in-character reason for that. You should have an in-lore explanation for things. I do think that's an aspect of good writing. But you also have to understand this is not for the in-characters. This is for the out-of-characters. This is intended to entertain to amuse, to uh, provoke thought, to be engaging, right? That's fiction for you, right there, bam. And in order to accomplish this, you need to carefully balance that. And I feel like those 34 seconds, and I know this sounds like such a minor point to comment on, is endemic of the problem with the, the Talarians, because they're not different. They are specifically anti-us. They are designed, there's other points, but I'm not going to cover them. They're specifically designed to be a different culture that just happens to be what we would consider to be horrible. Not with reason, not with purpose, just to make it so that they're different, to make it a conflict of culture stories. And then there's the fact that the episode tries to sway into comedy. And I don't actually know if that's deliberate. Usually I feel like I have a decent handle on the dissection of fiction to tell intent. I'm not always right, of course, but I do. It's one of the big and most important things for me when it comes to these ruminations, and always has been, trying to determine author, creator, director, writer, actor, etc. intent. I don't actually know if they were trying to be funny. They certainly failed, but... <laughs> Although, I imagine some of you did find these scenes amusing because <laughs> Picard, he has to take care of a child and we have a well-established history of how much Picard hates kids. Oh, isn't that funny? Oh, look how disrespectful the child is. Isn't that funny? Oh, look, he's just wrecking up his... I mean, they even do a jump cut. They even do a... Well, usually I would be in the captain's quarters. And Picard says, oh, no, 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 absolutely. Jump cut, they're in the captain's quarters. That is a classic comedy approach right there. That's part of the why I say this might have been intentionally comedic, or at least trying to be comedic. Um, and then, of course, <laughs> look, isn't, isn't kids' music terrible as they play just this, this really irritating noise and he's redecorated and all that? Now, what's interesting is that very scene actually has one thing that was very intelligent, well-done, and well-reasoned. The cot. That's such a minor point, but I point it out because... In what feels like 30 or 40 missteps of these people, the one interesting thing is the fact that his back is hurt by their beds. So many people don't think about comfort when it comes to sleep and how adamantly important that is to, well, 
existence for any being that relies on sleep, like humans. And the idea, I mean, there's a reason you don't skimp on mattresses, right? There's a reason that's a, a common rule. As long as you can afford it, you should spend money on, ma on a good mattress because that's something you're dealing with every night and your sleep is incredibly important to your functioning as a being. Just Not just your survival, but your ability to exist and your ability to live. So I like the idea of him designing and making this cot specifically for him because that does make him different. It doesn't make him annoying. It doesn't make him frustrating. It's not trying to be comedy. It just makes him different. And I like that. There's actually a few touches in the episode where he is legitimately different rather than just annoying or, you know, wrong or whatever you want to call that. Provocative is probably a better word. I like the bit with the spoon and the the food. Obviously, he knows what a utensil is because of the way he uses it. But he has no idea what the food is. He's probably never encountered ice cream in his life. And he has no idea how to properly use the spoon. So he jabs it down and ends up sending stuff splurting all over poor Wesley Crusher. And yet, and he is, of course, mortified. They take it in stride and start laughing. And he immediately relaxes, understanding, thanks to social interaction, that this is an acceptable outcome. That's good. That's different. Make sense? So, um, I'm looking at my note here. You know, the colony was destroyed by the British skirmish with the war, the Tellarian War, oh my gosh. Um, I mentioned it in my notes here whether or not this is memories or just his imagination. Based on the things that happened later, it's pretty clear he actually was having memories of his childhood. Again, I already kind of mentioned that there. Um, I mentioned the fact that they repel the trespassers. Uh, what's interesting is Picard makes a note. He says, this is a clear violation of our treaty, which means there were some kind of lines in the treaty that showcase that taking others prisoner was not allowed. And yet the, his only defense of that is, well, it's, it's Tellarian custom. This feels like the kind of thing that should have been hammered out by the treaty, but as I've pointed out, Federation treaties suck. No, seriously, Federation treaties suck. Just ask the Maquis about that one. So I'm kind of with the idea. Again, I'm not saying that's bad writing because it's unfortunately completely in character for the Federation to basically write a bad treaty or have the inability to properly research the situation to write a better treaty. I also want to mention... Uh, one other thing really quick here that I actually dislike about Star Trek. I've mentioned this before. Star Trek tends to have, every now and again, this thing of you must be with your own kind, you must be with your people. It doesn't always do that, but it is a commonality. And what's funny is for a lot of this episode, you must be with humanity. So few people even consider it an option that he should go back with the Telerians, as far as on the Federation side. It's just kind of considered automatic that he'll be going home. What I find most interesting about that is, for all of his bluster and, and other issues, the other guy whose name I don't remember right now. Hang on, I, I can look it up really quick here. Uh, Endar. That's him. Endar. <laughs> Captain Endar is a actually approaches things in a way that I, I'm astonished the Federation didn't. You are of age to make choices for yourself. What do you want to do? Now, the, the kid responds immediately, which is wrong. You, that kind of a choice should be very carefully considered. But the Federation doesn't really approach it from the perspective of, okay, he needs to make a choice for himself. It's more like, we need to convince him that he needs to choose us. And that's kind of wrong, if I could just be completely blunt about it. Now, granted, I believe very firmly in the idea of family is chosen. 
Lord knows Jonah does clearly believe Endar is his father, and Endar very clearly does love his son. There's no you know, deception. That's very clear cut there, I think. And I do love the final touch with Jono taking off his gloves for Picard. Nice touch. Good stuff. That's, again, different culture. Well done. Different. So that's kind of awesome. But what I want... But I want to talk about, or, or to be slightly more accurate, what I really, really don't want to talk about is the child abuse angle. Now, this went through a few iterations in the different versions of this script. From what I'm told, I haven't been able to get a copy of this script. I actually wanted to, but I couldn't find one. Uh, or rather, an earlier version of the script, to be more clear. Obviously, I could find a version of this script. But, well, let's just say a lot of people raised issues because they thought that this episode was in favor of child abuse. Now, obviously, it is not. As it has been made clear, this is all supposed to be about variances of culture. And it's clear, based on the construction of the episode, that all of his injuries were not supposed to be child abuse injuries, that it was just injuries that are made in their culture. To use a parallel, to be blunt, the idea is, what if a human child was raised on Kronos? He would have injuries, or she would have injuries, because Klingons are rough, and that's just the, the way they grow up, right? I mean, hell's bells, I actually have a leg that barely functions myself, I understand, right? So, point being, it's clear that that was the intent, but I have to admit, I don't think they did a good enough job of showcasing that, because one of the problems is Dr. Crusher a medical professional who obviously does it does have a very strong moral stance on things you know i mean she does have a child of her own after all uh, makes it very clear that she does not believe these are just random injuries that these show a pattern of abuse and that right there is part of the problem of the construction of the episode because that then tells the audience that the medical professional says this is child abuse rather than the adult the, the actual father saying it's not you can kind of see why people, especially back in the day, would tend to take the medical professional side of that particular argument. Now again, it was never the intent of the authors and creators to make this a child abuse thing, that that was not supposed to be part of it. But to be blunt, I would have ejected those elements of the script, to be completely honest. Or made it clear that she see, maybe she sees some injuries, but you know these injuries are endemic of severe physical activity, you know, stress on the bones or the ligaments, something like that, rather than oh my god, it's child abuse, you know. Because all that does is then is then paint the Tolarians as, well, more wrong than they already are. And I point that out because that is my theory. I think that's what was going on here. I think the idea was, well, what we consider such and such, they consider such and such. As in, it's the same thing, but they look at it differently. So it's not child abuse to them, even though it's what we might qualify as child abuse. Make sense? Again, part of that whole, they're annoying, slash different, slash wrong, but it's just a different culture thing that I talked about earlier. That's my take on it. I don't actually know for certain. All I'm going to say, personally, is that if my chief medical officer told me, in no uncertain terms, that this has the medical pattern of child abuse, I don't give a crap what war we're going to start. We're not giving this kid back. Remember, Picard did already update the Federation, and basically had the backing of Starfleet on this one. Probably helps that the kid's, uh, aunt was an admiral. Nevertheless, moving on, I guess they probably introduced that element to make it more of a dilemma, to try and explain why they never really ask him his opinion on it. I suppose that's possible. I just think that aspect of the episode was a little mishandled. You know what I mean? So, I really only have one other bit of things to talk about. I don't have much to say in this episode. 
There's this bit where the kid's like, I wish I could go do this or that or this. The things that calm me. That's a very logical and human reaction to this problem. We all have things we do to cope, right? I'm sure at least some of you do. I'll tell you one of mine right now. I keep this floss by my desk at all times. I literally have a, a jar of floss, right? I don't jar. It's one of the things my dad made, you know, these little uh, carving things. They're very cool. Anyways, so I've got this thing of floss here. Now, I use it to floss, of course, but what I also use it to do is to just kind of, just to kind of grind my teeth on it, and something that isn't my actual teeth, because this is a nice soft plastic, and therefore something that's not going to injure my teeth while I'm doing it. That's just a very minor thing, but something I do as sort of a venting mechanism. We all have things we do. That makes sense. So this kid who has grown adjusted to his personal venting mechanisms has been disbanded from all of them. And obviously he's frustrated about that. Any of us would be too. So Picard says, okay, let's go play, do something that I use to unstress. <sighs> okay, Picard, I know you're not good with kids, but no. <laughs> you have a holodeck. Go, let him, go recreate some fields. Let him run through it for a bit. Or try to do a segue. You like to run through fields, right? Well, why don't I recreate some of these fields from my own youth? I can run with you. Ah, you know, some way of kind of doing an in-between, reaching out sort of thing, rather than just, do what I do. I, I don't know, there's something about that just really bothered me. It is nice to, to see him enjoying the racquetball. In fact, he's good at it pretty much immediately. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is actually the introduction of that particular sport uh, into the franchise. I could be wrong about that, but I don't, I don't recall seeing it before this. We'll be seeing it well many times in the future. Even Deep Space Nine brings it up several times. Then, of course, the scene I've actually already referenced, the, the Sunday, which was good. And then he stabs Picard. Now, that's one of those weird situations that makes perfect sense, but I really got to say that was probably done more for drama's sake than for the logic of the situation. You'll notice it's a cliffhanger. Uh, it's, it's a cut-to-commercial cliffhanger. He walks in and stabs, cut to black. And I got to admit, I understand the nature of television, but I really hate the whole cliffhanger, please come back after the commercial thing that television in general has been doing for years and years and years, and Star Trek is particularly bad about from now and again, even in good episodes. So, whatever. But nevertheless, his, the logic of his situation is actually fully logical. I, I tried, I assaulted you, therefore, you have no choice but to kill me. It was the only way out. He felt legitimately attached to being human. And that made him feel legitimately bad about abandoning the, abandoning the Talarians. But he does have a legitimate bond with his father, but he also enjoys being human. And so he saw no way out. So he tried to basically commit suicide by cop. That didn't work. And then he is let go. I still feel that could have been held a little bit better, but whatever. I also kind of wish they'd gone to war with these people and stumped them to the ground, but that's another topic. <laughs> Regardless, that's all I've got. Welcome to the show, Jerry Taylor. We'll be seeing, we'll be watching your career with great interest, and I hope you guys will enjoy seeing this one and the next one next time.